Welcome to this week's edition of Ocean Allison, where I bring you the best in ocean science, education, and conservation through conversations with people who are creating positive change for the ocean. This week's Ocean Advocate is Dr. Wallace J. Nichols. Jay is a marine biologist and best-selling author of the book Blue Mind, explaining the science behind how being near, in, on, or underwater positively impacts us. Hi, Jay. Welcome to the show. Hi. It's great to be chatting with you. Yeah, very excited to speak with you today about all the amazing work you're doing. To give our listeners a little bit of background, I have never met Jay in person. He's currently joining us from California. I am in Florida. But honestly, I have looked up to Jay for a number of years. I and I think a lot of people in the ocean advocacy world really look up to Jay. So I'm super happy to have the opportunity to actually speak with him today and also to share it with all of you. So thanks for listening. Jay, I want to start out by asking you, for you personally, when you get in the ocean, when you submerge underwater How does it make you feel? Because a lot of your work is about the emotion behind connecting with water. What emotion do you feel personally? That's a tricky question because, you know, every time I get in the water, it's different. And so sometimes it really is, you know, say the end of a long day and you're just like, wow, get me my water medicine, (laughs) get me my reset button. And you get in and it's just kind of cathartic and relaxing and you know, all the worries of the day just kind of drift away. Sometimes it's more recreational or exercise oriented. So you're just like, oh, I'm going to get in the water and just get in a, a good workout. Sometimes I'm with people and it's a social experience. But I think the commonality through all of the different ways we interact with water when we want to, of course, is what I call blue mind, which is that sort of mildly meditative focusing, relaxing kind of response that we get. Of course, that's different if you don't want the water to be all over you. So, you know, there's a a leaky roof or a big wave that you're not expecting, then that's a whole other experience. But when you want to be near in on and underwater, it's um, that mildly relaxing, sometimes extremely relaxing feeling that I refer to as blue mind. But um, yeah, I, I cover the range. I try to, to involve water in uh, all kinds of different stages of the day and of the week to maximize all the different emotional benefits. So it's a little little bit complex. I, I think anybody listening would probably relate to that. It's not one one main feeling. Although I have to say, just as an aside, I know people who, when they think of water, it's it's fear. They haven't had good experiences. You know, they know they're missing out on, you know, what we refer to as blue mind. And sometimes they're able to overcome that. So uh, for some people, it isn't this happy place. It is a reminder uh, that that they've had some bad experience or association with water. So I don't want to make it all sound like butterflies and kisses over here. It's for some people, it's there's some related trauma. Yeah, but for you, it's 
almost always positive. So yeah, I'd say um, from end to end of my life so far, it's been um, 99% positive. <laughs> That's good. So like I mentioned in the intro, Jay is a marine biologist. He is currently a research associate at California Academy of Sciences. He previously was a senior scientist at Ocean Conservancy, and a lot of his research has had to do with sea turtles. And another kind of element or aspect of science that Jay looks at in his writing and writes a lot about is kind of neuroscience and cognitive sciences behind our emotions that we feel in regards to water, like we just talked a little bit about. So Jay, I wanted to ask you, this is something that I'm extremely interested in. What has your journey been like in infusing emotion into science, really connecting the two rather than keeping them separate, which is the norm? Yeah. So I I think like a lot of students and students of science, young scientists, I experienced that that moment when your advisors make their best attempt to kind of curb your enthusiasm and harness your passion, but kind of filter the emotional part of it. It happens to all of us. The reason why we get into marine science or really any any passionate endeavor is some some deep emotional connection. There's no denying that. I fell in love with the ocean, decided the best way to keep that love alive would be to become a marine biologist or a pro surfer. And so I ended up being a marine biologist. And I think a lot of, you know, a lot of us have a similar story. And so we face that moment where your sort of really big enthusiasm about saving the ocean or studying whales or saving sea turtles meets your committee, <laughs> your, your graduate committee or whatever the group is. And I remember when I hit that point, thinking, okay, what is this emotion in me anyway? And it seems to be in others as well. And seems to be driving this whole endeavor, this whole research industry is driven by this love of nature. But what is it? And it turns out it's biology, it's chemistry, it's physiology. And so that was kind of my comeback was, what do you know about that? committee members? What do you know about the science of emotion? And it turned out they didn't know very much and it wasn't being taught in our courses. And so I went on kind of a walkabout to find the people who did know about the science of emotion. It turns out there's a lot of people who study uh, rigorously the science of emotion. And it was kind of like wow, the, the light bulb went on. I said, those people need to be talking to us. And we need to be talking to them because their science is absolutely applicable to our careers, to understanding ourselves, but also to doing our job better in the conservation world. So that was kind of the aha moment. I was like, wow, this, this is really cool science. And these folks neuroscientists, psychologists, cognitive biologists need to be talking to to our team as well. And so there began the kind of the bridge building process and also my own sort of dive into that literature, uh, the books that were being put out on, you know, the neuroscience of meditation, the neuroscience of music, the neuroscience of happiness. I just devour those books and look for the word water and the word ocean 
and any reference to sea turtles or anything aquatic, and it wasn't there. They weren't talking about the blue parts of the planet. And in our literature, we weren't talking about the human brain at all. And I thought, wow, there's an opportunity, you know, kind of a nice potential mashup of two enormous disciplines, the study of the biggest feature of our blue planet, the ocean, and the study of the most powerful thing in the universe, the human brain. Let's put these communities together. And uh, it kind of was an unstoppable process from that point on uh, in terms of going there and trying to make this work happen. And it's really great that you found those two disciplines that are very disconnected and you're trying to connect them because we've seen throughout history that oftentimes the best innovations, the best ideas, the best everything comes from when there's collaboration of two things that are very different. So I think that uh, means you're definitely doing great things. So beyond the science and the research that you do in combining these two disciplines, neuroscience and marine biology, things like that, one large aspect of what you do as an ocean advocate is public speaking. You give presentations and just trying to connect with individuals to spread your knowledge and spread your passion. Most people that interact with you, again, I've never met you in person, but uh, most people that interact with you that I've spoken to or read about, they walk away with a gift. And it's not <laughs> just the gift of hearing your perspective. It's a blue marble. It's kind of your trademark. Yeah. What does the marble represent and why do you give it to people? So the blue marble is really just a blue sphere made out of recycled glass by a company called Marble King in West Virginia. And they're the last remaining marble manufacturer in the U.S. So that's the kind of the facts. But that's pretty boring, isn't it, when I explain it that way? <laughs> and that's kind of the point. When we are talking points about the ocean are, I'll, I'll do it, I'll do it for you right now. The ocean covers 71% of the planet. It gives us 50% of the oxygen, feeds billions of people, and provides billions of jobs. It holds 90% of the biodiversity, right? So I just made the ocean boring. And that's really, really hard to do. And the next thing I would do if I was a typical ocean communicator would be to tell you all the things that are destroying the ocean. So I'd, I'd heap some guilt on. Uh, I'd scare you a bit because a lot of this stuff is scary when you imagine it, you know, decades down the road. The ocean is full of plastic. It's acidic. It's warming. Everything's dead. That's the other way we try to compel people to act. So we bore the heck out of them with statistics and percentages. Then we scare the heck out of them. Then we guilt the heck out of them. And then we say, join our movement. Right. So I, I felt that my whole career, you know, listening to lectures and reading what was being put out, uh, even the, you know, the documentary films. And it didn't really resonate with what was motivating me to stick with it and to get a, giant education and pursue ocean conservation as a career. And I thought, well, we, we need to fix this. And 
there's so much good going on. There's so many people having success. There's so much optimism. And what the ocean really gives us is more than jobs, oxygen, and seafood. It gives us creativity and relaxation and romance and on and on and on. And that's how you can reach people. So one day I was given a lecture at the uh, New England Aquarium in their gorgeous IMAX theater. And I realized that my slides were going to be seven stories tall. And I thought, okay, I don't want to just give another talk about the ocean crisis and some things you can do, like, you know, eat less seafood, recycle more, and walk to work. I wanted the talk to be stickier in some way. And so I had this idea to give everybody a blue marble as they're on their way in to the theater. My friend Louise went out and bought a bag of blue marbles at the toy store. And I stood at the door into the IMAX theater and just handed them to people. And, and I remember people were saying, what's this for? And, and the honest answer was, I don't know yet because I hadn't completely thought it through. And uh, by the end of my talk, I knew, I knew what the message was exactly. The last slide was that famous uh, blue marble photo, that NASA image, the first photograph of the whole earth from space. And I asked everybody to pull out their blue marble and explained what that represents, uh, that from a million miles away, we look like a little blue marble. And then I asked people to hang on to it and pass it on to somebody that they want to say thank you to, that they want to share a message with, maybe something they learned tonight. And in the, the weeks following that talk, I had more interaction, more positive feedback, I think people probably remembered more than in any other lecture. And I was like, wow, that I'm going to do that again. Yeah. And then I'm going to do it again and again. And now we've given out a million blue marbles all over the world. People get them and use them at their events, whether it's a, a classroom, you know, a group of first graders or uh, a big fundraising dinner. And it isn't just me giving them out anymore. It's lots of people. And and so they're these little reminders that everything we do matters because we live on a little water planet. And it's really important, really important to recognize what's working and to say thank you to those who are doing what they can. Sort of like the acts of kindness, a pay it forward kind of idea, but focused on our, our watery world. And people get it. And they just they love getting a blue marble as a gift. They like the weight. They like the smoothness. They like the color. And then they're challenged with passing it on. And that's really fun. It's playful. Uh, it's maybe inspiring occasionally. It's interactive. It's interactive. It's offline. There's a big one. There is no Blue Marble app. You cannot share a virtual Blue Marble. You need to share an actual physical Blue Marble. And you can't share it. You know, I couldn't share a Blue Marble with you right now have to be eye to eye, hand to hand and give, yeah. and give it to you. So in this world of Pokemon Go and virtual ocean, it's not that nothing wrong with those things, but it's, I call it socio physical media. So it's social media, but there's a physical component and it's viral by design. Meaning if you get a blue marble, you're supposed to give it away. And when you give it away, we love people to 
to capture the stories and share the story in whatever way that means it can be could be a photograph it could be a video it could be a blog entry it could just be sharing the conversation sharing the story with someone that you talk to and that's it you know it's just it's just a blue marble there's not a a magic recipe there like I, you know, I started out they're made in West Virginia by Marble King they're awesome blue marbles but what makes them so interesting is the accumulated stories that follow them around the idea that somebody's saying thank you uh, when you were least expecting it uh, the surprise element and all of that is really interesting as you know someone interested in the human brain you know, how, do, yeah. how does one one penny or less worth of recycled glass suddenly become someone's prized possession or something that they're at least just really excited about yeah yeah so how does that happen i mean it it is happening you know on a large scale but how does that happen how can we how can we shift our perception of something like a little blue marble you know something that maybe is a, a just a thing or a commodity and then a moment later it's beautiful and it's got a great story and so you see where i'm going here it's there's our problem we've described the ocean as a bunch of percentages as a sad place that needs help and we're missing something when we do that it isn't just seafood oxygen biodiversity jobs it, yeah. it's emotion i just have to add not to downplay the importance of food and oxygen to life it's critical and it's the starting point but the ocean also makes life worth living it makes our planet livable and makes life worth living and i think we often forget the second half of that story and so that's what the mar the marbles are a symbol of this conversation that we're having right now they're just a a, a token a gesture, a gift, and a reminder, uh, and then a, a physical way to start or continue the conversation. And so building on the blue marbles, you, like I mentioned in the intro as well, in 2014, you published a book called Blue Mind, and it became a New York Times bestseller, very successful book, which for listeners, if you haven't read Blue Mind, I highly recommend that you do. You can find it on Amazon and on Jay's website and a number of different places. Jay, I want to ask you to describe briefly, obviously it's a, you know, 300 page book or something. <laughs> briefly describe, you know, what is the what is the book about and why should people read it? Well, I think the best way to describe it is it's it's a book about you. And if you have enjoyed your time near, in, on, or underwater, it's a book about that experience. And it will provide some insights into why those experiences can be so memorable, joyful, important, uh, why they make us happy, why they connect us, and why they help us maybe be more productive and more and better at what we do, as I say in the, the subtitle. And so pulling together pieces and insights from neuroscience and psychology and combining them with stories uh, about people who love the water, 
whether they're athletes, big wave surfers or open water swimmers or family members, different aspects of my life living by water and try to connect that science with, with these great stories and a little bit of poetry and, you know, some, some literature thrown in to keep people who are a little less, maybe less interested in the science, kind of keep everybody on board uh, for the whole read. So that's, that's really the, the idea, but it's, I wrote the book because when I went to the library to check it out, it wasn't there. I wanted to read this book. I wanted to read a book about psychology and neuro, neuroscience and water. And there were books about brain on music and there were books about brain on meditation and the neuroscience of happiness and so on. But none of them talked about the biggest single feature of the planet, the water. And so I searched and searched. I thought maybe it, it was out of print. Uh, I thought maybe it was in a different language. I thought maybe I was using the wrong search terms, but it turns out it just hadn't, hadn't been written yet. <laughs> so uh, I had to write it, which, you know, I tried to get somebody else to write it and they said, you do it. It was somebody who's, who I have a lot of respect for. And so there I was I'm standing there going, all right, I'm going to have to figure this out. Yeah. And here we are. And here we are. Yeah. Yeah. So, I, I think it, it's, it's really inspiring what you said about you. You went to the library and it wasn't there. You wanted that book and it, it didn't exist. And I think that's a that was a big inspiration for me creating this podcast. I, you know, obviously there are podcasts out there about the ocean and some of them I, I do enjoy. It really was the podcast that I wanted to listen yeah. to, you know, about people doing positive things for the ocean. It, it wasn't there, you know, and uh so that's why that's why I started this. So I can highlight people like you that are really doing phenomenal things and focusing on different aspects of the ocean like you are and, and our connection to it. So definitely can relate to that there. Um, one thing also kind of in relation to the, the book Blue Mind, you have these Blue Mind summits that you hold every year. I would love to attend a Blue Mind summit coming up here sometime, hopefully get involved with a Blue Mind Summit. What's a Blue Mind Summit and how can people get involved? The Blue Mind Summits are held every year. We move them around the world. They're kind of short gatherings, conference, if you will. Uh, but they started because I realized, I, I'm a marine biologist, I'm not a psychologist or a neuroscientist, and I wanted to get the conversation going. I needed to interview people, I needed to learn from them. And I thought the best way to do that would be just to kind of, I mean, have them all over to my house for dinner or something. And that was kind of the basic idea. I was like, what if, what if I just had dinner at my house and invited the best neuroscientists and the best ocean people over? And then we had these great conversations and, and I just took notes the whole time. And so I started making the list of topics and people, it got a little unwieldy. And I thought, okay, if that all happens at dinner, I won't be able to hear all the converse, great conversations. So what if we get a little bigger than just dinner and have a smallish get together for the day? And so it went from smallish to mediumish size. And we did Blue Mind One in San Francisco in the boardroom at the California Academy of Sciences. Traditionally, there are under 100 people. That's actually the goal. You know, people say, how many people are going to be there? And I, the answer is as, as few as possible. We don't want it to be a giant conference. 
Uh, we want it to be a real powerful conversation. And I like it when everybody can see each other's face in the room and feel like they just made a bunch of new friends. So the basic structure is we, you know, we get together evening before, have some food, get familiar with each other, you know, a couple of short remarks, maybe some music. And then we spend the next day together asking and answering questions that have never been asked or answered before. So we throw people together on the stage or on the po at the podium or in a, on a couch and just give them a topic that they know something about, but twist it so that it's really new. So the example I like to give is Dr. Howard Fields, who's a UCSF, University of California, San Francisco, great neuroscientist. He studies dopamine and feedback loops, so positive and negative feedback loops, love and fear and, and the neurochemistry of that. And through him together with Jeff Clark, who surfed Mavericks, one of the biggest waves on the planet, alone for a long time before it became, you know, the iconic uh, wave that it is today. And so Jeff is just, he is just a feedback loop, uh, go, like a massive proportions. He's a sort of fearless lover of big waves, and he's a very talented athlete. And so put them together and just said, you know, talk about Jeff's brain. Talk about what's going on that makes people grab a little piece of fiberglass and paddle out alone into a wall of water that could wipe out your town. Why would anybody do that? What's what's going on in that decision-making process? And so they just dove into this awesome conversation. Uh, so that that's how we do it. And Howard brought the neuroscience, although he's never studied surfer brains, he studied lots of brains. And Jeff brought his story and although he's never studied his own brain yeah <laughs> he knows a lot about surfers and their brains and what what they say and what they do and so that's kind of what we do we bring people who would normally not run into each other you know at a cocktail party or at a conference bring them together in a formal setting relaxed a formal setting and set them up to wrestle with these questions and that creates kind of the raw material for the writing and the starting point for going in and bringing in Jeff's story and Howard's uh, research publications. And, and then hopefully the real goal is that there's a group of students in the room who say, that's it. That's what I want to study. Surfers, dopamine and feedback loops. Like that's my thing. And then they go yeah. off and figure it out or, post-traumatic stress and kayaking or whatever piece leaps out at them. So that's what the summits are about is really the, the catalyst for this broader conversation. And it's a time to get together in a room and eat some food, make some friends and talk about some big ideas and not always answer the questions, but maybe even ask more questions. Yeah, or gain new perspective. Yeah, exactly. So these Blue Mind Summits still, and, and very much so in the beginning, like that first one that you mentioned, are also a great time for you to do research and, and learn and make connections with people that that were important in writing your book, Blue Mind, and also 
will be important in writing your next book, which is hopefully coming out next year, called Go Deeper, The Seven Ages of Water. What will this book be about? What, what will this book explore that goes beyond Blue Mind? Well, if you've, if you've ever done a, a writing project, you've had that moment where you, you have to cut out something that you love and that just isn't room or it just doesn't fit. And so you cut it out, you put it to the side and maybe use it for something later. So in writing Blue Mind, there was a lot of that. There were pieces. Blue Mind could have easily ballooned to 600 pages. There are topics that I, I thought, okay, I'll, I'll get to that later and then it just ended up not being included and so i started while writing blue mind started thinking okay there there could be a second book and how would that be different and i kept putting some of the things to the side that didn't quite fit in and the idea for go deeper just kind of emerged from there i was reading shakespeare and there's a passage that is referred to as the seven ages of man and it begins all the world's a stage and it's one of his most quoted, most well-known passages. Yeah. And it kind of clicked. I was like, okay, I've been calling the second book Go Deeper as a placeholder. And then this idea of this, the seven ages of man, or I changed it to the seven ages of water. And that's the subtitle. So in borrowing from, from Shakespeare, I'll tell you the seven ages. It goes birth. So you're, you're born from water. Some people are born into water. And as babies, hopefully you're introduced to water. And then as kids, the second age is play. So water is mostly about play, uh, in addition, of course, to hygiene and hydration. And so as a kid, it's all about jumping in the water, stomping in the puddles, water balloons, water fights, hoses, sprinklers, learning to swim, learning to do a cannonball, uh, going underwater, learning to hold your breath. But it's play, very playful. Instead of all the world's a stage, will it start with all the world's an ocean? You you may just have to um, wait for that. Okay. <laughs> There's a, a stage direction in many plays, that's, uh, and actually it's a Shakespearean thing, that the stage direction is called enter wet. That basically means the actor enters wet, literally. They're, they're coming onto the stage from offstage, from the side, and they and you know the crew would actually wet the actor down, and they'd come in either from the storm, or from from the bow, or whatever the the context was. Anyway, that's just a little hint at that. But enter wet. We enter our lives. We enter the world wet. That's how we start. We come out of the water. We enter the stage, the world stage, our life, wet, soaking wet. We're soggy because we've just been living underwater for nine months with gills. With gills. With the whole range and. Yeah. And then the three middle ages are the lover, the fighter, and the judge. So the lover is kind of recognizes that water has a, a romantic aspect. That it's often the context for for our our relationships. Uh, we we maybe our first kiss is overlooking a you know a lake. Our ceremonies solidifying our relationships are often have a water component of some sort. Our honeymoons. Leo DiCaprio kisses his honey, you know, up on the on the bow of the Titanic, overlooking the you know the vast North Atlantic, before before the disaster hits. Uh, yeah. But there, you know, there's that romantic capacity that water holds. So that yeah, so it goes you know through lover, fighter, judge. Judge is kind of I guess where I am right now in my life, where you've acquired experiences and and hopefully a little bit of wisdom and 
a higher level of responsibility, whether you have kids or grandkids or you run an organization or a lab or a business, you know, at a certain age, you kind of step into those those higher level of responsibilities with all the associated stress. And so water takes on a different role than it's it's often the place where people go to chill and kind of reset, de-stress so they can do their job mm-hmm. better. Um, maybe it's where they go to get new ideas so they can keep keep their career going. Many scientists find their their inspiration while you know maybe biking or walking near water. Their breakthrough aha moments. And then the last two are ebb, which is as you know our, our bodies and minds begin to slow down. Gravity becomes our enemy. Water becomes our friend. So water takes on a more therapeutic role in rehab or in exercise. We're much better off walking laps in a pool than running on pavement as our knees and our hips and everything else starts to blow out. And then death, of course, is the final stage. And it's kind of back back to the water. Uh, and a lot of ceremonies and rituals around death involve water. Memorials in my own life, um, both of my fathers, when they passed, we we found ourselves by the water thinking about them and memorializing them. It was just sort of a natural act. That's how where we gathered spontaneously. That's pr- fairly common. You know, people want their ashes scattered over a fav- favorite waterway. And so not to end on it on a downer, it kind of all comes together. And this idea that the better we understand our own seven ages of water as parents, as teachers, as individuals responsible for ourselves, as leaders, the better we can live. And maybe, hopefully, the more we'll take care of that water itself is kind of the, I guess, the whole point of this conversation is if we undervalue water, we don't take as good care of it. But if we correctly value it, meaning we don't cut ourselves off and when we describe what it's good for, and we have a full list of all the wonderful benefits, then maybe we'll take better care of it. That's the hope. And we involve more people in this glorious blue movement that we're building by broadening it out. Well, I'm very excited for Go Deeper to come out, to read it and to soak it all in. I hope that listeners, you guys are excited as well. Sounds like what you've come up with thus far, the premise of the book sounds really intriguing. For listeners, when I post this podcast episode, I will be linking to Jay's website, wallacejnichols.org, as well as his social media accounts. He's on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. So you guys can give him a follow, connect with him, send him a message, get some blue marbles, (laughs) you know, do whatever you are inspired to do. I think that Jay really is a great example of do what you're inspired to do and, and really make it count. So Jay, I want to thank you so much for all the positive change that you are creating for the ocean. You are really doing just that. And I also want to thank you for being on the show today. I really enjoyed talking with you. Really my pleasure. And I hope this conversation between us continues. And I I look forward to that time that I can actually put a a blue marble in your hand in person. Me too. Okay. Well, thanks so much. You're welcome. You just heard Dr. Wallace J. Nichols, marine biologist and best-selling author of the book Blue Mind. To learn more about the topics discussed in this podcast, visit my website at alisonrandolph.com. And to keep the podcast coming, you can now contribute a dollar or more per episode by visiting patreon.com slash oceanallison. 
the ocean and I greatly appreciate your support. And tune into next week's episode to hear another conversation between me and someone creating positive change for the ocean.